Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So when I said today that there was no collusion, and therefore, uh, and that collusion also is no crime, I've been saying that from the very beginning, so did John Dowd. It's a very, very uh, familiar lawyer's argument that uh, the alternative. Uh, my client didn't do it, and even if he did it, it's not a crime. So, I mean, you need a whiteboard for some of this because there's I so have many one. different. Yeah, there's so many different iterations <laughs> of it. The only crime here is hacking, and it's ridiculous to think that the president hacked. The person who's controlling the overall communication strategy is obviously the president, right? Well, first of all, he said there was no collusion whatsoever. I guess uh, he said as strongly as you can say it, they have no information on Trump. Hello, and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man jonesing for a showdown over a government shutdown. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So you know the phrase moving the goalposts? That's, of course, a football metaphor for redefining the rules while the game is still being played. It's almost a cliche about the Trump administration and everything. But that expression can't even do justice to the Trump team's shifting claims about its connection to Russian interference in the election. What they're doing is more like uprooting the goalposts, throwing the football into the stands, kicking the ref in the balls, firing the NFL commissioner, setting the stadium on fire, and announcing that the game is now pro-wrestling. Remember right after the election when Hope Hicks said that the Trump campaign was, quote, not aware of any campaign representatives that were in touch with any foreign agents? It never happened. There was no communication between the campaign and any foreign entity. Whoops. Then, after revelation after revelation about disturbing Russian contacts with Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn, Jeff Sessions, and all the other Trump campaign figures, we found out about the Trump Tower meeting with Jared, Paul Manafort, Don Jr., and possible Russian spies. Don Jr.'s new line? While he might have met with some Russians, none of the meetings involved him representing the campaign in any way, shape, or form. It was a meeting about adoption or whatever. And then there was the next shift. Maybe the Trump people wanted to hear about whatever dirt the Russians had on Hillary Clinton, but there was, and you might have heard this phrase before, no collusion. That's where things have been standing for a while. But Michael Cohen's apparent readiness to testify about the president's prior knowledge of the Trump Tower dirt offering meeting means that the posts are going to have to move again. And Rudy Giuliani has really taken them into a new orbit with the line he used on CNN and Fox News this morning. The collusion isn't a crime and that Donald Trump didn't pay for hacking and that he, quote, did not personally hack Democratic emails. And with that claim, I think the Trump team may have moved the goalposts to a place where they won't need to be moved again. Coming up on the show. Ambassador Mike McFaul on what it's like when your president negotiates to sell you to Vladimir Putin. But first, last week the president tweeted a threat to the Iranian president in all caps. To Iranian President Rouhani, never ever 
threatened the United States again, or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious. Some people thought this was a first, but apparently there were some prior examples. President Reagan making history today with a very strongly worded statement for Chairman Gorbachev, stating, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. For those who did not hear the statement live, I can assure you that the letters associated with the press release were very big, making this an all-caps declaration. For ABC News, this is Sarah Lady Talk. News on the march. President Franklin Roosevelt today standing before Congress issuing a strong statement condemning the attacks on Pearl Harbor, calling them a sudden and deliberate attack against our nation. These words were forced into the air with an all-capital fashion. If they were written out, you would see each letter capitalized. This means our boys are at war. X-Tree, X-Tree, read all about it. President Garfield on his deathbed issues statement to his assassin saying never, ever shoot me again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. President Garfield dying slowly but still issuing this statement in all capital letters. Read about it. Today's sketch was improvised in our Brooklyn studio by our friends Steve Waltine and Kate James. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I'd like to welcome back to the show Mike McFall. He's the former U.S. ambassador to Russia. He's a professor of political science at Stanford. He is the author of a terrific new book, From Cold War to Hot Peace, which talks about his period uh, in Russia as Barack Obama's ambassador. Mike, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so you've had a hell of a couple of weeks. I just want to bring uh, listeners up to date on the story in, in case they, they've they missed it or missed part of it. Uh, in Helsinki, when, when President Trump met secretly with Vladimir Putin, they talked about you, it seems. Do you, do you have any better insight into what that conversation actually was, what was said about you? Well, I don't know precisely what was said about me, obviously, and we don't know precisely what was said about anything. Everything we've heard has been read out to the Russian press, not our side. But the way I've pieced it together, and, and Putin said it on the record, and then his prosecutor general's office said it on the record the day after, I think I have a pretty good uh, picture, which is, remember, before that summit, just a few days before the summit, uh, Mr. Mueller indicted a dozen Russian intelligence officers for being involved in our 2016 presidential election, right? And involved, too nice a word, uh, for violating our sovereignty by stealing data and publishing it 
in a way to help Trump and hurt Clinton. So the way I interpret what Putin said, and, and again, he said it on the record in Helsinki, is that he brought to Helsinki his own left. Um, and this is classic Putin, whataboutism, creating moral equivalency between things that are not. But he said, well, you want to question those guys. You think they're criminals. Here's my list of people that I think are criminals. And at the top of the list was a British businessman born in America, but lives in Britain now, Bill Browder. Who's, who's been um, on the show show many times, I should say. And oh, you know, okay. it's a story we followed that. very, okay. very closely so, here at Trumpcast. Well, excellent. Then you know uh, all about him and his book, Red Notice, and his dramas. But what Putin said at that press conference is they are uh, opening new charges against Browder, and they've done that subsequently, by the way. Uh, They announced that. Uh, But the new twist was that he said that there were Americans involved in a crazy scheme uh, that Browder was laundering money out of Russia, aided by these U.S. government officials, and then was giving it, or at least portions of it, to the Clinton campaign. The day after, as I was flying home from Helsinki, was when I learned I didn't know in Helsinki, but when I learned that I was on that list and they announced 11 of us, I think, and uh, I was one of those people that the prosecutor general's office, uh, the spokesperson, uh, announced it that 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 said, and I'm just going to quote it from you, so I don't want to be misrepresenting. This is from a Medusa article. McFall is one of the Americans suspected of involvement in Browder's illegal activities. So, and of course, this whole thing is is absurd in every way and doesn't really need to be discussed at that level. The question is why the president, who you would think any president would immediately have the reaction, how dare you accuse American government officials of being involved in something like this? Of course not. Never. No way. And if you don't walk out of the meeting, you 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 express the most extreme dis- displeasure. Instead, Trump said, hey, that's an incredible offer. And amazingly, the next yeah. day, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House spokesperson, said they were thinking about it. I mean, it's amazing how long it took them to simply defend the people like you who had worked and were still working in some cases for the American government. Now, that led the Senate in in one good moment to pass this resolution unanimously saying what? Saying saying essentially that, no, we would never, no, we would never let that happen. Yeah, I I agree. And I I think I said it, I know I said it at one point during the day, you know, I, I give the, I gave the president a pass. I said, look, he doesn't, I bet you he doesn't know what an MLAT treaty is. Maybe he doesn't know who Bill Browder is. He probably didn't understand what Putin was doing. Again, underscoring why it was such a horrible idea to put President Trump in the room with Putin for two hours. Because uh, there's lots of other things we still don't know about that he maybe agreed to uh, in ignorance as well. But like you just said, like that they got home and they didn't went on the record saying they're still exploring the idea. That was really outrageous. Uh, where is the White House staff? Where is the National Security Advisor? Where are the people that, that write those talking points? Jacob, I used to do that job. I used to write talking points for our press people about my area of responsibility, Russia and Central Asia, all the time. Uh, and that was pretty disappointing. The, the good news was the State Department got the statement right out of the box. Uh, and said this is absurd. And then there was this mass societal mobilization um, 
which even surprised me, by the way, um, where there was hashtag protect McFall and veterans for McFall and all kinds of NGOs mobilized. And as you said, uh, we don't get many 98 to zero votes in the U.S. Senate these days, but uh, that did happen. I actually have a commemorative uh, copy of the resolution sitting right here on my desk that uh, Senator Durbin gave me. Um, and eventually, you know, the, the White House got to the right place, although even in their third try, their third try, they still called Putin's gesture sincere. And there was nothing sincere about that. And I don't know what's going on there. Either that means that they genuinely do not understand Vladimir Putin and the way he works, or everybody else does, uh, and this could be the case in the Trump administration, but the president himself is just so fixated on being Putin's friend that he asked his press spokesperson to put that word in there. Putin decided, Mike, almost as soon as you got to Moscow that that he was going to make you into an enemy. And they they abused you and harassed you in ways that are atypical, even for an American ambassador in a hostile country and, and certainly yeah. in, in Russia. He has, I think, maybe in certain ways continued to do that since you've left and, and moved about as far away as you can get back to Stanford. But what I'm what I want to know is what he can do to you now and how the American government, how the Trump administration should be trying to protect you and is or isn't doing that. Well, yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. He went after me actually even the day before I reported to the U.S. Embassy, (laughs) as I document, as I talk about in the book, uh, I think the chapter is called Putin Needs an Enemy. America, Obama, and me. Uh, and it was Martin Luther King weekend. I remember it vividly. So I had, we had an extra day to kind of get over our jet lag. And on that Monday night, uh, before I first reported to duty, um, there was a 20 minute hit piece on me saying that Obama had sent me, uh, to Russia to coordinate the opposition and overthrow Putin. And that message just continued for for the the years I was there. It's still, by the way, somebody just sent it to me. It's still like the lead on Russian Wikipedia uh, website that 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 was my mission. That was my motive. Um, And the other piece of it, just to be clear, is they now are accusing me of criminal behavior. That's that's a new escalatory step. And and in the commentary in Russia from Putin's supporters, you know, including a government official yesterday, they're accusing me of being a illegal spy during the time that I worked in uh, and studied in Russia in the 80s and 90s. So that's also a criminal accusation, right? And that's the escalatory step. I mean, I, I thought, okay, I left Russia 2014. I came home to Palo Alto, started my, you know, back to my old life here at Stanford. Uh, I later learned that I was on the sanctions list. Which means you can't go to Russia, right? That means you can't travel right. just as a person right. to I'm Russia. Right, I'm banned from traveling to Russia. Um, the first former U.S. ambassador to Moscow since George Kennan to have that honor. Uh, but that for me meant, okay, I'm done with Russia. You know, I'm far away Uh I'm studying China, you know, I'm studying other things right now. I'm trying to uh, readjust my academic portfolio. Uh, you can't you can't be a serious scholar of Russia if you can't do research in Russia, right? So I thought I was done with it all, and then they came at me again. And that, you know, one shows that they must not like what I'm doing. I mean, some of my Russian friends have joked 
Galler's Gallows humor that uh, this is this is Putin's reaction to my book. Uh, he doesn't like what's in the book, uh, and so he wanted to like get under my skin again by doing this. And I, I want to I don't want to joke about it. He does get under my skin because, and this gets me to the next phase. Uh, I feel pretty good about. I met with many Trump administration officials last week, um, and uh, as well as many members of Congress and, and senators. And you know, I think the they, there's no chance that the U.S. government will allow uh, us to be interrogated by the Russian government through this this MLAT treaty, the Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty that Putin referenced in his press conference in Helsinki. So that's off the table now. That's that's progress. But you wrote, you wrote, uh, it, thing, it, oh, sorry, I was, I was just going to um, interrupt, and this may be what you're about to get to, but, you know, you wrote in this uh, piece in the Washington Post a couple of days ago that there is another escalation Putin could take, which is issuing an arrest warrant and a red notice through Interpol right. to detain you if you're traveling not in Russia but in but outside the United States is that a real risk and right. what what could happen I mean we've heard about the abuse of this uh, red notice system it was the title of of Browder's book I mean he's yeah. had these issues again and again of being in third countries and the Russians coming again to try to arrest him and in effect extradite him to Russia to stand trial on bogus charges right and that's that's the next drama. That's the next fight that I'm in right now. Uh, so they do abuse this system all the time. Uh, in fact, well before this latest drama with me, uh, I just published an article in Foreign Affairs about what should be the right strategy for uh, containing Putin. And I said in that piece, one action should be to suspend Russia from Interpol because they abuse it for political purposes all the time. And we all know about Bill Browder and his book, Red Notice, and he documents it, and he still lives it all the time, by the way. It's a recurring thing that they put these, uh, they're called diffusion. So it's a lesser uh, instrument that Interpol has below Red Notice, but r- the Russian government can issue a diffusion uh, and without adjudication in the headquarters can seek your, you know, your arrest. And so that's what happens with Bill. But it happens to all kinds of people who are not as famous as Bill Browder all the time, including Ukrainians and Russians. And, you know, they, they abuse this system. And with me, uh, you know, I hope and I actually think, given my former status with immunities as ambassador or as a White House official, that the the probabilities of the Russian government seeking to detain me in a third com- uh, country are, are probably pretty low, but I want to make them zero. Uh, you know, I don't want to have to think about, I got, I got six or seven foreign trips planned between now and, uh, you know, the end of the year, maybe even more than that. I, that's what I do for a living. And uh, I want uh, the Trump administration to be aggressive and preemptive, not passive and reactionary to uh, an attempt to do this because, you know, I just read you the quote. They are accusing me of criminal activity already. That's on the record. Um, and and they can issue a warrant to question me for this criminal activity and, and put a note into Interpol. And yes, I could be detained uh, in other countries around the world. And remember, I, I don't just go to NATO countries, right? You know, I, right. for my job, I go to I go to places like Ukraine and Belarus, um, and so you know, this is something that that directly affects uh, my professional activity. And I just think, and it's not just about me. I want to make this clear. 
I think it's outrageous that that Putin and his prosecutor general has even raised the idea that they would seek to arrest former and present serving U.S. government officials for doing their jobs. And if, 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 if the Trump administration doesn't send a strong signal against that, I think it should be public, but at least private, then think about what that does to all Americans serving abroad, all diplomats, all ambassadors, all soldiers, USAID folks, you know, Peace Corps, you're just you're just allowing us to all be uh, threatened and and, and pa- pawns I, in I, a pawns in a negotiation that is about things we don't even understand. Basically, right? Yeah, I mean, you're you're that's, just chess pieces to be moved exactly, about. That's yeah. exactly what happened in Helsinki, and 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 just it also empowers autocrats, right? It, it shows. And by the way, I you know I've learned a lot about Interpol last week, most of which I can't talk about, but. Uh, Putin's not the only autocrat in the world that abuses us, including against Americans. And uh, I just think it's time to send a, a strong public signal that we're not going to put up with this. So I want to ask you in a minute about what we can do. But why does Interpol stand for this? I mean, Interpol is an international organization. Why do they why do they suffer this abuse of their red notice system, which is supposed to be used against international criminals? And it's being abused to persecute dissidents, as you say, not just by Russia, but probably by Turkey. And I don't know what other countries are sort of in in on this game. But why is Interpol letting, letting itself be instrumentalized in this way? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, you know, I I think the formal process of getting a red notice, uh, and here I really want to underscore, uh, I'm just learning about this. I'm not an expert. I'm not an international lawyer. But my understanding after a week of uh, discussing this is I think the, the formal process of, of obtaining a red notice that goes through the headquarters of Interpol is adjudicated and then sent through the system uh, works pretty well, and obviously Interpol has, uh, you know, within their mandate that they're not they're not a political they're not a political organization, and they reject those. But this diffusion thing is the key thing. In fact, I think it is the key thing, even with Bill Browder. Although I, I want to underscore, I don't know that for a fact. Which is, any government can use a diffusion notice or whatever it's called to kick it into the system, and then it goes into the system without being adjudicated by uh, Interpol headquarters. And whereas a red notice is a requirement to detain somebody, uh, a diffusion is a request to, te- to, to detain somebody. So it's a lesser uh, obligation by the governments that are a part of Interpol. And I think it, it needs to be reviewed. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there are, other, there are other instances of this, including with people seeking asylum in America that get have the same uh, process with them uh, by the Russian government. So maybe this is a good time for everyone to take a look at how this works. Natasha uh, Bertrand, a a very good reporter, has a piece up about the Atlantic, which goes into some of these issues. And what she says, which came as a total surprise to me, is that there's also abuse taking place through ICE. And we don't have an extradition treaty with Russia, but if Russia essentially says someone is a criminal when in fact they're a political dissident and they've been living here, ICE can detain them and in effect deport them, not extradite them directly to Russia, but deport them from the United States. And it's a real threat, uh, an issue for a number of Russians living in exile in the United States. 
Yeah, I just read that piece too. Uh, that was news to me. Uh, and those are those are that's the Interpol system being used there, right? That's exactly what's happening there. Um, and I'm glad she brought attention to it. And uh, there's another piece by Anders Osland out today in the Atlantic Council, talking about more general abuses uh, of our judiciary system by the Russian government. And um, you know, this is not my area of expertise, but I, I guess it's become that in my own state. Uh, but I forced education it, 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 for self protection. Yeah, yeah, but I, I yeah, but I think maybe I, I not maybe I think really now is the time to to do a much more uh, closer inspection of what happens with Interpol and do this in coordination with American allies around the world. Uh, I can tell you, I was up on Capitol Hill last week. I'm, I met more senators and members of Congress last week than I think I've met in my entire life. And it was it was great. So this has been ups and downs. I mean, one of the ups has been to see people rally uh, to my cause. And um, and up there, I can tell you there's, there's real interest now in, in understanding what happens with this system. And, and so maybe that'll be some good thing that'll come out of this. Maybe there'll be some reform. The um, Is this something that, that Congress can do without Trump? I mean, one of the uh, things that we, we uh, focused on last week when uh, Mike Pompeo testified uh, in Congress was the way in which the president is not uh, speaking for American foreign policy on a range of issues. And this is exactly the kind of thing where the State Department <clears throat> is likely to have a position representing the U.S. government that may or may not have any relationship at all to whatever nonsense the president says about it. Yeah, well, I mean, more generally speaking, a policy towards Russia, although I think you could make the case for many other foreign policy issues, but I never can remember a time in history or histories that I've written about before my time when you had such a disconnect between the president of the United States and I would say literally every other senior foreign policy person, uh, secretary in his administration. Uh, it just, it's in- extraordinary. There's two policies towards Russia. And even in my own little case last week, uh, you know, I, I said the State Department's um, statement on the record uh, from the spokeswoman, spokesperson, uh, was excellent. But in the beginning of it, she had a dependent clause. She said, while I can't speak for the White House. <laughs> and I saw that. And I interacted with some of my former uh, Obama friends uh, who were in charge of strategic communications back in, in our day, uh, and we couldn't believe that. Uh, that never, ever, ever should happen where there is two different opinions, uh, statements on the record being made by the White House and the State Department. And, and you know, I, I, I know that they're trying to clean it up, and Secretary Pompeo in that testimony very explicitly said, you know, uh, we protect our people. I was very, I was, I was delighted to see what he said in that testimony about my case. Uh, and he tried to, to make very clear that we just have one policy, not many, but there are just too many other examples uh, on, on issues uh, way more substantive, you know, in terms of American national security than, than my individual case, where there is a giant disconnect. I mean, I, I honestly don't think Trump supports at all what his administration's policy is towards Russia. 
So to the Pompeo question, I mean, this question, Pompeo sort of ended up debating with himself, but who speaks for American policy? Is it the president or is it the policy? And if the State Department says our policy is X and the president says, I don't believe that, I think Y, at the end of the day, which is America's foreign policy? Well, you know, I would have said a few months ago, in fact, I think I probably wrote this and, you know, talking to lots of administration officials and and former administration officials, too, by the way, that we all took comfort in the policy chugged along and the rhetoric of the president kind of came and went, but it didn't really have an impact. Right. And I think there was a direct correlation between kind of smart policy and absence of presidential engagement. So the less he engaged, the more rational the policy was. Uh, and when he did engage, then that, 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 that muddied the waters. Uh, but what you saw with uh, Helsinki, uh, in, my, in my personal interest, in my personal case, and with the other Americans accused of, of crime, uh, that's when the president stating things did matter. And, uh, you know, he said it's a wonderful idea, basically suggesting that we were uh, suspects in a, uh, a criminal investigation. And it took him a week to walk that back. And to this day, as we were mentioning before, I don't know what, what Trump and Putin actually said. And I don't know what will happen to me the next time I cross the border. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, the policy of the U.S. government is to not allow something to happen to me. But that is not clear. Um, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, I, it worries me. And and so wouldn't it, it, to me, it would be fantastic if President Trump would get on the record and said, I just called Putin and I said, you know, there will be hell to pay if you ever even think about arresting a former or present serving U.S. government official. That would be fantastic. And have Putin say the same thing on the record or even I'd even take Lavrov, you know, uh, <laughs> you know give me Lavrov. That's enough. Uh but that, that hasn't happened. So the good news is that where the, the, the rhetoric and policy clash, there has been few practical outcomes in terms of, of policy towards Russia. The bad news is that the rhetoric undermines the president. He looks weak. Uh, the rhetoric undermines our NATO alliance. You know, it looks like uh, the European Union is a foe and Putin is a friend. Well, those, those words do matter for policy. I think they have big consequences and raise a lot of doubt about our commitment to our NATO allies. And that's the worst thing you can do in alliance. You do not want any doubt about how we will behave in a crisis. That, and that's exactly what Putin wants, by the way. In fact, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would not doubt if Putin himself was the guy that brought up Montenegro. And, you know, why are you defending Montenegro? That, what do you have to do with them? Why, why does their security matter to you? Uh, and, and just and, and Trump said doubt, where? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what, what he said. Right. But uh, that, that, you know, I, I, I know Putin and I know his strategies and I would not be at all surprised. And that, that's just not good for American national security. Well, be glad, Mike, that as a, a diplomat, you never had to say, pay no attention to what my president says. Yes. Well, I, I, you, I, you know, I actually have been reflecting on that because when you go into the government, sometimes you have to leave what you wrote before or leave what you said before. You're part of the team and that's part of the deal. Right. And, and, you know, the longest chapter in my book is about Syria because that was such a tortured 
process that we went through where I, you know, didn't always agree with my president. And I, I write about it for historical reasons in the book so that people can learn about it. But never in my five years of government did I have to go out and say something that I knew was was against what I believed or, you know, not in America's national interest. And and I'm struck by how, you know, tortured the 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 Trump uh, administration officials are, especially Mr. Bolton, who you know, I've, I've been on panels with Bolton about Russia. Uh, I know what he used to say. Uh, it's very striking how um, that has changed. And, you know, I just, again, as an American, not as a Democrat or Republican, I don't think those kind of divides are uh, serve our national interests. I think it makes us look weak. And I know it makes us look weak in the eyes of Putin. I've been speaking to Ambassador Michael McFall. His book is From Cold War to Hot Peace, an American ambassador in Putin's Russia. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do it again sometime. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced, as ever, by Jason DeLeon. That sketch was improvised in our Brooklyn studio by Steve Waltine and Kate James. And thanks, as always, to the third contributor, our voice of Donald Trump, John D. Domenico. Hey, are you a member of Slate Plus? You get a lot of great bonus content. And if you want, you can listen to this show and others without any ads. To join, go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. And that way we get the credit. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Drumcast.